Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. We have returned, ladies and gentlemen. This is the podcast where real history is discussed, and also where the uh, study of history is a way of life, and where TLDR does not apply. This is going to be a a different episode, I guess, in some respects. It's going to be a two-part. There's going to be a a first part of the episode, and then a second part of the episode. The second part is going to talk about Founding Fathers-related stuff. We're not going to cover any letters today, but I'm going to return to a discussion that I was—something that I was talking about on a previous episode. I wanted to kind of— elaborate on. I've mentioned it actually a few times on a few different episodes. I just wanted to return to it and drill down into that a little bit more so that we can understand why I talk about it and how it relates to today. Not just today, but but the last 200 plus years and the next 200 years. This is it's it's a very important concept to grasp. So that's why I wanted to return to it. But before we do that, I wanted to depart from the uh, usually scheduled programming and do a what I call a public service announcement. This is kind of a personal rant, and you know, you folks can leave a review on the podcast and let me know if you like this kind of thing or not. And when I say a personal rant, it's not it's not personal to me, but it's about my experience in the world and things that I see and things that I think society needs to talk about, perhaps, but it doesn't. Or at the very least, I don't hear anybody talking about it, and I keep my ear to the ground. Uh, I, th- I think you know. People talk about a lot of things in society, and a lot of them are kind of these little one-off issues, or it's um, personal preferences about this thing, this, that, and the other thing, specialty issues, but not general societal issues that I think are really important. And this one is kind of unique in that, like I said, nobody really talks much about it, but something that I've noticed being increasingly a problem over the years, and that is professionalism. I think um, I think we have a severe problem in the United States of America, and you folks over in Europe, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys have the same issues, or you folks over in Asia, maybe you have the same issue. I don't know. You, you let me know. If you can leave a review on the podcast on Apple Podcasts in such a way that I can see it, uh, or you send a message through the Patreon website, which is technically still there. Um, I don't have the podcast up and running over there for because uh, I was redesigning it, and I kind of got stuck doing that. But my uh, my Patreon podcast website is still technically there. I think you can still send messages through there. Has anybody else noticed that where the idea of the professional is slowly getting lost in the United States of America? And what do I mean by that? People oftentimes do specialty jobs. And it could be a lot of things. It could be a doctor, could be a lawyer, could be a real estate agent, could be a plumber, could be electrician. All of these people are supposed to be professionals in their field, what I, what I would call an expert in their field, too. They're supposed to have professional expertise. In other words, you hire them to do a job, they are supposed to know precisely how to do that job. And not only that, they're supposed to be able to walk you through the experience in a very specific kind of way, as a professional would. And they're supposed to impart their expertise during that process. They're supposed to tell you what to anticipate, what you have to know, the things you need to know about the process. Like, for example, if you hire a lawyer for a specific thing, it could be consultation, it could be just general legal counsel, it could be any number of things. They are supposed to let you know what you're supposed to know, even if you don't know you need to know it. They're supposed to anticipate the questions. Because... 
as somebody who's not a lawyer, you may not know what questions to even ask. You may not know what, what, like if you're encountering a particular legal issue, you might not know what potholes, what roadblocks, what, you know, any number of examples, but you, you might not know what to expect. So you might not know what question to ask to uh, prepare for it. The professional is supposed to be able to do that for you. Same thing with doctors and same thing with uh, everybody else who's supposed to be a professional. I have noticed over the last two to three years, honestly, I've noticed it my whole life, but certainly in the last two to three years, it's been an increasing problem. Maybe it's because I've I've encountered more professionals and I've engaged with more professionals, but it's something I've, I've observed for a long time. People are losing their competency to be a professional in whatever field it is that they work in. And I'm not here to complain about it. I'm here to, number one, draw attention to it and to advise people that we need to fix that problem ourselves and and in ourselves. I imagine that the folks who listen to this podcast, you know, you're all professionals and experts in your in your own field or, you know, you're on your way to doing that. Uh, We're all supposed to be. Like in my field, I consider myself to be definitely a professional and... Probably what I would describe as as close to an expert as you can get with the number of years that I have doing the job. And I try to be that. I try to be competent. I try to be uh, a high a high functioning individual in my field. I don't think uh, I don't think everybody else has the same aspirations. A lot of people do, but there's a lot of people who don't. And I tend to run into the people who don't more often than I run into the people who do. Like, I have not been impressed with a professional, an expert professional in a long time. I can't, I, I can actually remember the last time that I was impressed by a professional in their field. And you're gonna, you're, this is gonna be funny to some people, but to people who know what I'm talking about, it's just gonna be, it's gonna be a, just a real world example. The last time I was impressed with somebody who was a professional was a tow truck driver. I'm not kidding. Cause it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, you don't have to be a doctor or a lawyer or something something that society considers to be high class to be a professional or an expert. And that, that's not the only place you should be finding professional experts. You should find them everywhere, in every field, all the time. But I remember watching a tow truck driver. This is a number of years ago. This is probably about five, six years ago, something like that. I mean, you would think towing a car is pretty easy work, but you would be surprised. It does take a certain level of skill in certain circumstances. Sometimes towing a car is very easy, and it wasn't my car that was being towed, by the way, just in case you're curious. But I watched a tow truck driver pull a car, and actually it was a large vehicle. It wasn't It wasn't like a passenger car, like a, like a sedan. It was a big truck. I watched him pull this truck out of a, a very precarious spot. It was not a conventionally parked vehicle. Let's just put it that way. And... They didn't have any keys for the vehicle. They had no access to the vehicle. And they they pulled this truck out of this very precarious spot, and it was right next to other vehicles, very close, and there was this one vehicle that was kind of blocking it in. And he managed to wiggle this truck, this very large vehicle, out of this spot at just the right angle and just the right way and kind of maneuver it onto the back of a truck and then haul it off. And it, it was it was very expertly done. I mean, if somebody hit, I, I could probably try for, I mean, like not having done that kind of work before, I probably could have tried for the better part of a week to get that truck out of there the same way that that tow truck driver did. And I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I don't think anybody could unless they'd just been doing it for a long time. That was a professional expert. He didn't complain about it. He didn't, uh, he didn't struggle with it. He just went to work and he got the job done. And he did it, um, in a way that was very impressive to watch. I mean, it was it was it was very striking. Yet I run into doctors, I run into lawyers, I run into folks who are supposed to know things about real estate. I run into these people, and they don't have anywhere near the level of competency 
that that tow truck driver had. Not even close. And they don't problem solve the same way. I mean, they don't, they don't, they don't even, they don't even, half the time, they don't even know how to problem solve. And they don't know how to be a professional. They don't know how to educate their clients, their customers. They don't know how to educate the people around them who are not experts. They just don't know how. And part of being a professional and an expert is knowing how to educate the people around you about the process, about what to expect, setting good expectations, setting accurate expectations, and responding in a professional manner to questions, concerns, thoughts, ideas, instead of, um, Instead of arguing or sniping at people like it's some kind of a social media argument, that's becoming an increasing problem amongst professionals as well. They talk to people like they're talking to some random idiot on Twitter or something like that, instead of talking to another professional or another expert in a different field, perhaps. And they don't know how to engage in a professional business way. The whole structure of how professionals and experts engage with each other in society is beginning to break down. From my observation, now it could be isolated, it could just be my experience, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm the guy who has the bad luck, maybe I'm the guy who just uh, notices these things and everybody else is just, you know, skimming along, you know, perfectly wonderful, they don't notice any problems, they don't experience any issues, maybe it's just me, but somehow I doubt that. You know, I meet a lot of professionals, um, generally speaking, in, in, in business and personally, I, I meet a lot of professionals and a lot of experts, and I don't think it's isolated to me, I think this is just a trend in society. And I think at some point along the way, we forgot to, we, we, people have been trained to do a job, but they haven't been trained to be professionals and they haven't been trained to be experts. And those are two, those are very different things. You can know how to do a job basically, and you can know how to punch your ticket in the morning, you know, a ticket, be a ticket puncher, as I call it, and kind of go through the motions and check the boxes and kind of do the job, maybe phone it in half the time and not phone it in the other half of the time. But being a professional and being an expert is a totally different thing. Totally different. It's a mindset. You've got to have a mindset of, I am an expert. I am a professional, and I am going to bring it to a certain level every single day. And I'm going to set the bar up high. I'm not just going to set it down in the middle somewhere. And these people around me who are not experts, who are not professionals, I am going to give them the experience that they deserve. I am going to bring a professional expertise to my interactions with those people every single time. And they're going to come away impressed with my knowledge, impressed with my ability. And maybe they maybe they aren't, but you're going to try, as long as that's your mindset. And part of it is, you know, caring about the job, caring about doing it right. You know, it's all, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of it is a mindset problem, I think. So what's the solution to that, that problem? And I, I think it's, you know, especially if there's any younger people listening to this podcast who are not yet in the work, uh, working world, or maybe on their way into the working world. Honestly, if you want to set yourself apart, and you want to be noticed in your field, just be a professional expert. Just have that professional expertise. And it, it takes a long time to get there. It really does. I mean, a wise man once said that it takes many thousands of hours to become an expert at anything, whatever it is that you're doing. But it's not just the hours. You can put in the hours. I mean, you can be a doctor for years, decades, and still be a crap doctor. After having done it for 30 years, you can still be basically just a crap doctor. If the mindset isn't there, if you don't have a certain standard that you're trying to live up to. And if the United States of America is going to be a great country, if it is going to be a good country, we got to have those kind of people there. We really got to have professionals and experts who take pride in their work and know what they're doing and know how to communicate that to other people. And aren't just there to uh, be a ticket puncher. That's that's something you don't want to be. You don't want to just be a ticket puncher. Because, you know, I can tell the difference between a ticket puncher and somebody who's an expert and a professional. 
And you can, it's, it starts, and it start honestly, it starts as, as quickly as when they pick up the phone. Like, if I'm calling somebody, I can tell when they pick up the phone which one they are. Because I've had a lot of phone interactions with people. I have, uh, like, business-wise, in my, in my various professions, my jobs that I've had, I have either taken or made many thousands of phone calls. And I'm not making that number up. That's not exaggeration. That's not drama. That's not hyperbole. That's, 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 the, that's the, the honest truth. Many thousands of phone calls. And when you make that many phone calls in a, in a business sense, you really, you really do get a, a pretty good read on people over the phone. And when somebody picks up the phone, I can tell who they are professional, expert, or whether they're a ticket puncher. Because, again, it's an attitude, and you got to have that attitude. And, and you see it in public school, too. We've talked about public school a little bit in terms of history education on this podcast. I mean, how many great public school teachers did you have when you were a kid? Most people can name, like, two or three great public school teachers that they had, right? And the rest of them were just, eh, fair to Midland. They were good, maybe, but eh, they weren't great. And you can tell the difference. I would argue that probably the ones that people remember that were great were professional experts. They were experts in their field, and they were very professional about it. And they carried a kind of, they carried an attitude about them you could just tell. And they had a competency about them that was just so obvious. And they they were a good educator probably because they knew where the problems were in learning the material. Like, where do people usually get hung up? Where do people usually get roadblocked by learning this particular material, whatever that is? And they know to anticipate it and build a way around that so that everybody can, or almost everybody at the very least, can learn what it is that they're supposed to learn. Because it's one thing to be smart and know the material as a teacher. Oh, I, I know the material. Well, yeah, we know you know the material, but can you teach other people the material? Can you know how, how are they going to have problems with the material? Where are they going to get hung up? Where are they going to have issues? Can you anticipate that? Can you plan for that? Can you help them walk around that? The problem with a lot of experts is, and I, I, I ran into this actually very recently, the problem with a, well, a lot of, I should say, supposed experts, the problem with a lot of supposed experts is, is that they just assume that the people that they're doing business with know like 90% of what they're supposed to know to do a particular job or project, or whatever, and half the time, they don't. That's why they hired you. So if, you, if you're if you hired, like if you go to a doctor, or you hire a lawyer, or whatever the case may be, it could be anybody, you hired them for a reason. You are paying them money for a reason. It's because you are not an expert. You don't have a medical degree. You don't have a law degree. And the problem is, nine times out of ten, no, I don't know about nine times out of ten, for me, it's like nine times out of ten, your results may vary. But a lot of the time, these experts, they just assume that you know a lot of things that you actually don't know. And they don't take the time to educate you. They don't take the time to teach you. But that's but that's their job. You hired them to educate you. You hired them to teach you what it is that you need to, what your expectations should be, what's going to happen, what you need to do. Not just what they need to do, but what do you need to do? They're supposed to walk you through that process. And more and more, these professionals, supposed professionals, are not doing that, at least in my experience. Now again, maybe I'm the only one, but somehow I doubt that. I don't think I am the only one. Because I hear this kind of stuff, I mean, people don't characterize it this way, but I hear this kind of stuff from people all the time. Like, oh, well, I hired this uh, I hired this real estate agent over here to do a job, and they really screwed it up, and they didn't do it, and they weren't really motivated, and they didn't really get me all the information that they needed to get me. The expectations were completely crap, and they didn't let me know what was really going on. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's somebody who's supposed to be a professional. They're supposed to be an expert in their field, and they're not. And they're not even trying. And their communication skills suck. 
And I can talk more about this, but I'm going to let it go with that for now. And so my 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 public service announcement is: if you're if like I said, if you're if you're working on you know entering the workforce, if you're still in college or in high school or whatever the case may be, if you want to if you want to really make yourself stand out, just be a professional and an expert, and and communicate clearly and communicate effectively. If you can pull that off, you're going to probably be better than 80 percent of the rest of the population, and people are going to know it. People are going to see it in you right away. I mean, at the snap of a finger. They're going to know exactly who and what you are. There's a lot more to doing a job than just knowing what's in the textbook. Doing a job and being a professional and being an expert is so much more than just having book knowledge. It's so much more than that. And this country used to know that, I think. It's always had a problem with that, but it used to know that, and it used to be a lot more clear. I, I think when I was younger, I, I noticed I noticed that a lot more that that was the case. But now that the older generations are starting to filter out of the workforce and retire, more and more I'm seeing my generation really take the lead. And I'm seeing all kinds of problems in this in this area, all kinds of problems. Because either my generation simply wasn't taught what to do and how to do it and how to be a professional and how to communicate clearly. Or they just forgot somewhere along the way, which doesn't shock me. Because I'll tell you right now, social media doesn't really help with people's communication skills. It makes it worse. So if you're on social media, you might want to think seriously think about checking out. Because, you know, you get used to interacting with people that way, and then it filters out into your professional life. And people can tell. I can tell. These things become habit pattern over time. But um, but yeah, you know, start thinking about that. You know, if you're if you're a younger person, start thinking about that and start start working on that and keep a keep keep your eye on it. Because if you if you're not careful, you could you can kind of uh, wander off into the wilderness of these um, people who should be professionals, but absolutely are not. And book knowledge is not going to get you there. You know, your your clients, your customers, uh, if you're a, if you're a doctor, your patients, they're not going to give a crap about you if all you do is is just have book smarts but you don't know how to communicate that and you don't know how to use that in a professional way to help them with what they need help with. I mean you could be some kind of a genius when it comes to, you know, what's in the textbook, but if you don't know how to apply that in the right way and you don't know how to communicate that in the right way, what are you even doing there? You got no you got no purpose in life. You got no purpose being there. You might as well just leave. So that's my public service announcement. Now, uh, and if, like I said, if you if you like that kind of talk, you know, and, and like I said, I'm not complaining as much as I am. I'm trying to motivate people to pay attention to that. And, and by the way, if you notice a professional, somebody who's supposed to be a professional in their field and an expert, and you hire them to do a job, like you hire a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant or a real estate agent or whatever the case may be, you hire them to do a job and you notice that they're not communicating well, they're not setting expectations, and they're not educating you, they're not being a teacher like they're supposed to be. Because when you hire somebody to do something like that, they're supposed to teach you the things that you need to know so that you don't fall you don't fall on a landmine. If they're not if they're not doing that, call them out on it because I do. Okay? I called somebody out on it lo- not long ago and boy did they 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 came after me. They got they got an attitude about it. And I snapped right back at them about it too because I don't take any crap from these people. You know, I hired them to do a job and they're supposed to do a job cuz that's my money. They work for me. That's how I look at that. When I hire somebody like that, they work for me and they better do the job. I'm not asking for perfection. I'm just asking for them to communicate clearly, be a professional, be an expert. That's all. It's pretty basic. And educate me on what I need to know. Pretty basic. But for some people, this is a bridge too far. I just can't handle it. Like I said, if that's the case, they need to just quit working. Just leave. 
So let me talk about our second issue. This, uh, getting back into the Founding Fathers here real quick, uh, this won't take too long to go over, but base, I don't want to, I don't want because I don't want to drone on it too much. I just want to make the point because I've talked about it before. I don't want to, I don't want to spend a lot more time on it. And the, and the, a previous, recent episode and way back in the day, I think when we were talking about John, yeah, it was John Adams when we were talking about John Adams. I mentioned periodically this kind of battle between state identities, you know, states that have different identities, you know, like, You know, like the state of Wyoming is very different than the state of New York. And the state of Alaska is very different than the state of Florida. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to be just one homogenous groupthink, you know, kind of people like a bunch of lemmings who go over the cliff. That's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be free-thinking individuals with different personalities. And different states have different personalities, and they always have. And that, that was very evident in the beginning. And John Adams talked a little bit about that. Uh, in the episode, I think the title of the episode was something along the lines of Boston is better. And that was John Adams talking about how he prefers Boston to Philadelphia and why and how important that is. But I wanted to talk about this in the context of why this is so important. This battle that we're seeing between the British Empire, a.k.a. King George III and Parliament and the, and the American colonies is very reminiscent of the battle between the federal government and the states today. I mean, I, I mean, tell, if you don't if you don't see this coming a mile down the road, you really need to start paying a little bit more attention to it. If you can't see that the federal government is basically currently in a in a battle for supremacy over the the fifty states, then you should probably take a look at it and really pay attention. And event and eventually, you should see that that that's exactly what's happening. And it's been going on for a long time, longer than I've been alive. The federal government has been in this battle with the fifty states. As long as there's been 50 states since the 1940s, I believe. Uh, before that, obviously, the 48 states, and then before that, so on, so forth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay. But the federal government is battling for supremacy over the states. Why the heck is it doing that? It's not supposed to be doing that, by the way, just FYI. Again, that's kind of what the Ninth and Tenth Amendments were talking about, amongst other things, enumerated powers, that limited Constitution, Articles 1, 2, 3, etc., 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 on and on. It was all meant to limit what the federal, the scope of what the federal government does. And that's why, again, the Bill of Rights is a list of things that say what the government cannot do to you, the federal government specifically, but honestly, the state governments too. And the reason why it's important to look at this battle between Parliament, King George III, and the American colonies is because that kind of battle is always going to be there. And the, why is that? Why, why You might ask yourself, why in the world— do these battles keep on happening? Like, why is the federal government battling for supremacy over the states the same way that the British Empire was battling in Parliament, was battling for supremacy over the colonies? Because remember what we've been talking about recently. The British Empire, or the Parliament specifically, was trying to say that they could pass a law to bind the colonies in any case whatsoever. That's what we've been talking about over the last few episodes. The United States Congress today is effectively trying to say the same thing about the 50 states. Now, that's not legal, that's not constitutional, that's not right, but that's what it's doing. Now, it may not say that outright. It hasn't said that outright like the British Empire, because it's not gotten that bad yet. It's not gotten to the point where, the like the Parliament in 1775 is saying, we have dictatorial control over you, you can't do anything about it. It hasn't gotten that bad yet, but it will if you continue to allow these things to go on and on and on. Now, I'm not trying to make a political issue out of this. This isn't a partisan political debate. This is just reality. This is just history telling me what's coming. Again, remember, if you study history and you really know it, you can see things coming a mile down the road because you've seen it before. And like I said in a previous episode, if you want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, 
Study what happened 200 years ago, or 500 years ago, or 1,000 years ago, or 5,000 years ago, because it will come up again. It will repeat itself again, because these things just come round and round and round and round and round. And that's not me saying that. That's all of these people who've said things like history repeats itself, and those who do not understand history are doomed to repeat it, etc., etc., etc. This isn't my message. This is somebody else's message. I'm just conveying it on this podcast. So if somebody thinks I'm wrong about this... Don't yell at me. Go dig up the dead bodies of the people who said this a few hundred years ago and yell at them. Go de- go down to the cemetery, hold a seance, and yell at them. Because I got nothing to do with this except I'm the messenger. And believe me when I tell you this, this thing about the battle between the federal government and the states, the battle for supremacy, and when I say supremacy, I should probably clarify because some lawyer out there is probably going to say, well, because you use a supremacy clause. Okay, yeah, I got it. Um, That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is basically dictatorial fiat. I'm basically saying that they, they, they say that they can basically pass whatever, they lo- whatever law they want, however they want, whenever they want, and there's nothing any state can do about it. The states effectively have no authority at all. I mean, except to the extent that the Congress doesn't want to deal with it. If the Congress doesn't say anything about it, then then the then the states have authority. But to, to the extent the Congress says anything about it, the states have zero authority. That's basically what I'm talking about. I'm not ta- I'm not talking about you know the constitutional supremacy and all the rest. I'm not talking about that crap. But again, getting back to if you want to talk about that again, read that Constitution and you know like for example. <laughs> Tell me where in that document you see a reference to the Social Security Administration or anything even resembling it. You don't. You don't. There's there's no legal authority for that whatsoever. Oh my gosh, Roman, did you just say there's no legal? That's, that's exactly what I just said. I'm just like I said. I'm just reading the Constitution here. I mean, if somebody can find it in there, knock yourself out. I mean, but you're it's going to take you about a thousand years in the Hubble Space Telescope to dig in there and try and find it, and you're still probably not going to be able to track it down. But you know, any anybody who has even the slightest comprehension of the Constitution knows that the United States Congress does not have authority to bind the states in all cases whatsoever, but it's trying to. It's trying to get there. Now, now that's just natural. That's normal. This is what people do when they have power. They try to get more. It's just, it's like a, it's like a drug addict. And that's why I made those references way back when, and er, very early in the podcast, to the King King George III being drunk on power, comparing you know this pa- these power hungry individuals to being like alcoholics. And I wish there was a rehab that we could send them to and tell them, hey, you're drunk on power, you're a degenerate alcoholic, basically, except, you know, the the alcohol in this case is power. Please go to rehab, do your 12 steps, and come back, and then maybe we can work with you. Until then, until then we don't want to hear from you again. But unfortunately, there's no rehab for people like that. I mean, you basically have 535 degenerate alcoholics drunk on power in the United States Congress, and they all just get together and tell each other every day, we don't have a problem, we don't have a problem, everything is fine. I control. I control what I do. You know, I I drink. Uh, I I I'm in control of my my power consumption. I'm I'm in, or my alcohol consumption would be the analogy. I'm in control of the power that I have. I'm in control of the power that I abuse and all the rest of blah 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 blah. They're not in control. They're they're out of control. They're drunk on power. That's normal. This is to be expected. This is not unusual in the history of the world. This is what this is just what happens. I, I'm amazed at people who try to deny this and be like, oh, that's not the case, Roman. How dare you? How dare you say that these people are drunk on power? That never happens in the history of the world. Could you name one institution, one parliament, one one elected legislature that ever got drunk on power really and abused their authority? Blah, 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 blah. Oh, gee, I don't know. Like the Brit I mean, the obvious one right in front of us is the British Parliament, you know, but the, the Roman Senate comes to mind. 
I mean, it's not like this hasn't happened before. I mean, any hist- any history buff knows, anybody who's studied history knows that this is just the way things are. It's like saying that the sky is blue. It's like it's like saying gravity will bring you back to terra firma if you jump out of an airplane. It's gonna happen. This is just these are just the laws of nature. And the laws of nature say that when you give people power, they will try to take more. End of story. The idea is is that you just you box them in and you constrain them in such a way that they can't. In other words, you keep the alcoholics under control. You tell them you can only start drinking at five o'clock, and you can only there's a, like a two there's a two drink limit or something along. You get the analogy, right? Okay. But when keep in mind while we're talking about this battle between Parliament and the colonies, as I talk about that, I want you to in your mind replace Parliament with Congress and the British Empire with the federal government, and replace the colonies with the fifty states. And you're going to begin to see some resemblance. You're going to see some similarities. You're going to be like, oh, that sounds familiar. I remember hearing about that a couple years ago out of uh, Washington, D.C. Because I see it all the time. I mean, I read these letters that the Founding Fathers wrote. I've been reading them for years. Years I've been doing this. Many years. This is not my first dance. And as I began to read those things, I began to think, oh my gosh, that sounds familiar. And I'm not saying that we're, we're at the brink of some kind of a rupture, as John Adams would say. We're not on the brink of some kind of a rupture between the federal government and the states, but by gosh, there is clearly a legal battle going on there. Much the same way there was in the 1760s with all of the, the various stamp taxes and all the rest of it between the colonies and the British Empire. We are, we are getting to that point. Ladies and gentlemen, and the, I, the the reason why we study this history is, again, to make sure that the bad things never happen again. We don't want these bad things to happen. We don't want there to be some kind of a rupture between the federal government and the states any more than the founding fathers wanted there to be a rupture between parliament and the colonies. Nobody wanted that to happen. We really just want every the system to work like it's supposed to. It was designed a certain kind of way. And the Constitution laid out a framework, a design, that I think works for everybody. You've got a great federal government that was designed there, for the most part. I take issue with a few things, but for the most part, it was fairly well designed. It has its little wheelhouse that it's supposed to be involved with. It's supposed to it's supposed to handle certain issues. There are some things that only the federal government can handle. And historically, it has handled some of those things pretty doggone well. National defense and the military are amongst them. It's It handled those things pretty well. And there's some other things that it has handled pretty well. And those are great. Those are fantastic. You just keep doing that. And the states have their wheelhouse that they're supposed to manage, and it's a big wheelhouse. The states obviously are supposed to have much more authority than the federal government over, over, well, that is to say, over more things. They're supposed to have opinions on more things than the federal government does. And why is that? Because the, the Founding Fathers designed it that way. And keep in mind, when you want to understand why the Founding Fathers did that, it's because that government is closer to the people. The closer the government is to the people, the more power it has the more authority it has, as far as whatever it is that government is supposed to talk about. Not not over people generally. In other words, you know, local governments are not supposed to have dictatorial control over people. That's not what I mean by more authority. I mean more authority over regards of whatever it is that government is supposed to be doing. And there's some things that government is not supposed to be doing, by the way. The Bill of Rights is just the beginning of that. Okay, just the beginning. It's the alpha. It's not the omega. The omega is another thing altogether. And again, the, the, the final two amendments to the Constitution speak to that in some regard. Or excuse me, the final two amendments in the Bill of Rights, ninth and 10th, do speak to that in some regard about the states and about, you know, the, these rights, you know, cited herein are not, you know, entirely the, the end-all, be-all 
all of the rights that people have, so on and so forth. We talked a little bit about that on a previous episode. And what you want to be careful of is giving the federal government the kind of carte blanche authority that the parliament was looking for in 1775, the right to make laws binding the colonies in all cases whatsoever. You don't ever want a parliament to have that kind of authority over anybody. And I mean anybody, for any reason, ever, under any circumstance. And I don't care if it's in the United States Congress, or it's in the British Parliament, or it's in some parliament in Europe. I don't give a crap. I don't. If you live in Europe, please listen to me. You do not want those people to have that kind of authority over you. It never ends well. It never ends well. We've been down this road. When I say we, I mean us. The people who are always the ones who are made to suffer as a result of these people and their drunk-on-power bullcrap. We have been suffering under these people for 10,000 years. Believe me, your ancestors are crying out from the grave. Don't do that. Because we did that, and it didn't end well. That's basically what they're saying. And I know that because that's what the Founding Fathers are saying in their letters. And those are, for us in the United States, those are our very real ancestors. And they are crying out from the grave, saying to you, don't, don't do that. Don't be stupid. Don't be a moron. Listen to history, get educated, and don't do that. The general government is not supposed to be able to do all these things that it wants to do. Keep it close to the people. And by the way, the general government is not close to the people. Now, relatively speaking, some parts of it are. Like, for example, the House of Representatives, John Adams referred to that as the most democratical part of the government, the, the general government, that is to say what we call today the federal government. They called it the general government again. So if you hear me say general government, just understand that's what I mean. I mean federal government, because that's what the Founding Fathers called it. John Adams said the House of Representatives was the most democratical form of government that, that is in the federal structure. And he's right, because in the beginning, and still to this day, they're directly elected by the people, right? That wasn't the case for the senators, it's not the case for the president of the United States, and it's not the case for the Supreme Court either, by the way. So, which part of the government has the most power? And the answer is, it's the House of Representatives. Like, for example, all spending bills have to originate in the House of Representatives. It can't start in the Senate. It's not supposed to, anyway. Now, have we seen some examples where they're really kind of riding the edge of what they can do and not do? Yes, we have. But allegedly, that's what's supposed to happen. Now, why is that? Why did the Founding Fathers believe that all spending bills should originate in the House of Representatives instead of in the Senate? The answer is because at the time, those were the people that were directly elected by the people. It's closer to the people, thus it has more power. The state government governments are closer to the people, thus they are supposed to have more power. And the ultimate authority, the one that has the most power, is the actual individual himself or herself. They have the most power because they are the people. Does that make sense? That's why we have freedom of speech and the government can't stop us from saying something. Because we are the individual, and we have the authority to say what we want to say, and we can say whatever we darn well please. I don't care if somebody calls it hate speech. I don't care if somebody has a problem with it. I don't care if somebody's offended by it. I don't care if it upsets their delicate sensibilities. I have a right to say whatever it is I want to say because that's me. I am the individual, and that speech is mine. It belongs to me. And the government has zero authority. One more time, loud and proud. Zero authority over what I say. Now, that's not the case in places like Canada, in places like Britain, for example. They don't believe in that, do they? I mean, some people believe in it, but apparently the government sure as, sure as heck doesn't believe in it. And you think the Founding Fathers didn't see that coming a mile down the road? I mean, they, they, they were dealing with it in 1774 and 75. 
That's why they wrote it. You, you wonder why the First Amendment made its way into the Constitution. That's why, because they dealt with it in 74 and 75. People trying to tell them what they could and could not say as it pertained to the King of England. And the Founding Fathers said, oh, no, buddy, don't you, don't you tell me what I can and cannot say. I can say whatever I darn well please. I'm a human being. I have a right to my speech. My speech belongs to me. I own it. And I can say whatever I darn well please. And if you're offended by it, or if it upsets your delicate sensibilities, ask me how much I give a crap. And I'll tell you, I don't. That's the way it's supposed to be. See how that works? So every step along the way, each part of this system has its little wheelhouse that it's supposed to operate in. The federal government has its own little wheelhouse that it's supposed to operate in, and it's not supposed to step outside of that. It's not supposed to. It does every day, but it's not supposed to. The state governments also have their little wheelhouse that they're supposed to operate in, and they're not supposed to step outside of it. They do every single day, but they're not supposed to. And then the individual himself has autonomy with regards to a great many things that they do every day in their life. And no government on this earth is supposed to infringe upon that, whatever that is. It could be freedom of speech, fr freedom of whatever. All these things, the Bill of Rights, again, is just the beginning of it. The state constitutions talk a lot about people's rights and liberties as well. You know, your ability to wake up in the morning and go to work. You know, the government's not supposed to be infringing upon that. It's not supposed to. Your ability to get up in the morning, and if you want to go to a synagogue or a mosque or a temple or a church or whatever, wherever it is that you want to go, the government's not supposed to be infringing upon that. And that's what makes the United States the United States of America. That's what made it great. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't have the government standing on the street corner saying, you can't go to your synagogue today. Why not? You can't go to your church today. Why not? You can't go to that mosque today. Why not? So, you know, the Founding Fathers kind of resoundly said in 1774 and 75, no, the British Parliament does not have the ability to bind, to pass a law, to bind the colonies in all cases whatsoever. It does not have that ability. It doesn't have the right. It doesn't have the authority to do that at all. And Parliament wants to have that. Well, we know Parliament wants to have that authority. We know. Believe me, we know. The Founding Fathers knew because they, they studied history. They knew that this is normal. Parliaments will always say that. The Congress will always say that, or at least the Congress in 2022. Obviously, the Congress, in, isn't that, and again, keep that in mind. This was the Congress, the United States, or excuse me, the Continental Congress in 74 and 75 saying no parliament has the authority to say that. And the Founding Fathers reiterated it again when they did the Constitution, and it limited what the federal government can do. And they reiterated it again when they passed the Bill of Rights, and they said, again, the government cannot do these things. And by the way, this list, it's not limited to this list. There's more that we didn't mention because we can't possibly name all the things that the government can't do to people. And why am I talking about this? Why am I, why am I beating this, this, this topic to death? Because you'd be surprised. They don't teach this stuff in school anymore. I'm just putting it out there. Because either the history department doesn't have time, or it's not in the curriculum, or it's not a part of the state-approved education curriculum, whatever the case may be. And the parents, frankly speaking, are not doing a very good job of teaching this stuff either. I mean, did your parents ever teach you this? In some cases, they did. I mean, my parents taught me some of this. Did they teach me all this? No. Should they have? Probably. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to harp on my parents at all. I'm just trying to say, you know, because when the public school doesn't do this work, the parents are supposed to do it. Uh, you know, say what you want about the public school system, but, you know, they, they're never going to do the full job. It's just never going to happen. I mean, for, for generations in this country, parents have just kind of assumed, well, the public school will do the full job of educating my child because that's what they're supposed to. No, they're not going to do it. That was never the case. It wasn't the case 50 years ago, and it's not the case today. It's never going to happen. Uh, we have to do it.
the uh, it's it's like a buck stops here type situation. You know, the president of the United States used to have this uh, this 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 concept of the buck stops here. I take responsibility. This is my this you know as far as the executive branch is concerned, this is my operation. I'm supposed to be the one you know at the head of it, and the buck stops here. Now, of course, that concept has long since been abandoned by the office of the president of the United States. I haven't heard anybody say that in a long time. I, I can't even good grief. I'm trying to remember the last time I actually heard somebody in the office of the president of the United States actually say that, and I can't even remember. Or actually, more specifically, actually live that out every day. I can't even remember. But with parents and educating their children, I mean, again, it's it, it's a very real statement to say the buck stops here, you know, if you're, if you're a parent. The final responsibility of educating the children is with the parent, not the public school system. So but don't don't expect them to teach this stuff seriously. Just don't. I mean, and I think most of you probably know that already. I think I'm preaching to the choir half the time when I say stuff like this. But and I, and I think a lot of parents out there have figured that out over the last 20 years or so. And I think there had definitely has been a noticeable increase in parents teaching this stuff recently. I think the problem with parents and like my parents' generation was is I think a lot more of this stuff was taught back then, so they just kind of assumed it was still being taught, but it's it's really not. Because again, the history at some point along the way, and I don't know when, but it happens probably some it happened sometime probably before I was born. History just got put on the back burner. And they just said, to heck with it, it's not important, we don't really need to teach it. I mean, we'll go through kind of the basics, American history, and we'll kind of go through the basics, world history, but yeah, the, the big lessons, we're not going to take a lot of time to really stew over it. We're not going to take a lot of time to spend like a whole week in deep, intense discussion about why the Founding Fathers wrote these letters, and, and, and what these letters really say about the British government and the British Parliament and these things that the Parliament was trying to do to hurt the people. And they didn't, we're not going to really take the time for that. That's basically what the conclusion that the public school system came to. And maybe they had good reasons for doing that. They had, they had to use the time for other things. Maybe they're using the time for complete crap. I mean, I'll leave that up to you to decide it, and it depends on the school. In some cases, schools do a pretty good job of teaching other things. In some cases, they really don't. But it doesn't really matter. Uh, all that matters is that somebody's got to teach this stuff, and... You know, it's we really have to learn it on our own. That's the purpose. That's one of the purposes, anyway, behind this podcast and this study group that we've put together here of taking these issues apart. So that's why I labor over this issue of this battle between the central power and the colonies in 1774 and 75, or again, the battle between the central power and the states in 2022. And beyond. It's always it's always going to be there. It's a question of, is everybody going to just play inside their sandbox? Is the federal government going to stay with inside of its sandbox? Is the state government going to stay inside of its sandbox? And are the people going to make sure that the federal government and the state government do not come into their sandbox? In other words, the individual's sandbox. Uh, the, as, the, as an individual, as a citizen of the United States, you have a, a responsibility of keeping the government out of your sandbox. Because if you don't, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to they're going to dip a little toe into your sandbox over there. And then the next thing you know, they're going to set up shop in that sandbox and they're going to live there and they're going to become a permanent resident in your sandbox. And believe me, you don't want them there. And if you think you do, you really need to crack open a history book and you really need to study how this has been abused and abused and abused over and over and over again for the last 10,000 years, and how many hundreds of millions, if not billions of people have been murdered, killed, tortured, and abused at the hands of the government that decided to step into their sandbox. 
because the, the, the end game is not the government setting up shop in your sandbox. The end game is the government strangling you to death inside your sandbox and throwing your broken corpse out of the sandbox. I want you to picture that in your head, okay? If you let this encroachment happen, the central power will dip a toe into your sandbox in the beginning, and you'll think, eh, that's okay. Then they will be standing inside of your sandbox. That is to say, inside of your constitutional rights, inside of your First Amendment, Second, Third, Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, Seventh, Eighth Amendment, and beyond. They're going to be standing in the middle of all of that, and they're going to be taking those amendments one at a time and chucking them out of the sandbox and saying, you have no right to these things. Next thing you know, they're going to be setting up shop. There's going to be a tent inside of your sandbox where this central power or the state government is going to be living inside of it all the time. And then the next thing you know, it's going to come out of that tent one day. It's going to strangle you to death and throw your broken, lifeless corpse out of the sandbox. And that's going to be the end of it. That's the end game, if you let that continue. And that is the example that we have going back 10,000 years. And if somebody wants to, if some, if some wannabe history buff out there wants to try to tell me that I'm not right, explain to me again how this happens over and over and over again. How did it happen in the Roman Empire? How did it happen? And it happened in the Eastern Roman Empire afterward. Even after the Western Roman Empire fell, they were still doing this in the Eastern Roman Empire. How is that exactly? And how did it continue to happen through the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages and all the rest of it? And how is it still happening today in North Korea? How is it still happening in China? How is it still happening in many places around the world? Explain it to me. Oh, those are just one-off, you know, that's just, that's just one example. I mean, it's, actually, it's just several examples. How dare you, Roman? How dare you actually say that this is going to happen again here or anywhere else in the world? It just happens all the time. What's going on in Ukraine right now? I mean, what's been happening in Europe for the last, I don't know, few thousand years? Over and over and over again. How many times do we need to live through this? How many times do we have to learn the lessons? The lessons have already been paid for, bought and paid for with blood. Do we need to pay for it again? Do you need the central power? And I'm talking to everybody, not just people in the United States, but people in Europe, people in Asia, people in the United States, people in Africa. Do you need your central power to come into your sandbox, strangle you to death and throw your lifeless corpse out of the sandbox for you to get this point? And again, forgive me all you people who know this. I know I'm preaching to the choir here in some respect, but there's going to be somebody who cruises into this podcast and doesn't know this. And they're probably going to be angry by now and have left probably about 10, 15 minutes ago. But just in case they stuck around, I'm still going on about this. This is just history. Any historian who's being honest will tell you that, you know what, uh, Roman might actually have a point. They may disagree with me as far as, you know, how this happens exactly and the extent to which you need to pay attention to it or, you know, the level of encroachment that you that you need to be worried about or whatever. But they cannot deny, honestly, cannot deny that this example happens over and over and over again throughout history. And the Founding Fathers are practically screaming at you from beyond the grave to pay attention to this. Believe me. And this is going to become more and more apparent as we go on, because some of these some of these letters that I'm going to read to you and some of these books that I'm going to read to you, I'm going to read to you from some of these books that the Founding Fathers wrote, are going to make it painfully obvious that they were very concerned, very, very concerned about the future of this country and its ability to remain free for everybody involved in it, every citizen. From coast to coast, border to border. Some of these people, I mean, I read what they wrote, and they were terrified of what was going to happen. Terrified. That's the impression that I get. Reasonable people can disagree, but I read the words on the page, and I can, I can feel the concern just deep in their soul. I can feel them trying to reach out and say something about it to anybody who would listen. And either these people were a pack of stupid morons who had no idea what they were talking about, or... 
It's the exact opposite. And considering what these people did with their time and what they accomplished in their life, I think it's probably the latter rather than the former. In other words, they know what they're talking about. And why shouldn't they? They lived through it. They lived through one of the worst examples of this tale from history going back 10,000 years of the central power walking into the sandbox and trying to strangle to death the people who live inside the sandbox and throw their broken corpse out of the sandbox and take it over. They lived through it. So don't tell me it can't happen. It did happen. Well, it almost happened. The Founding Fathers stopped it. Because when they, when they, when the, when the central power tried strangling them to death and throwing their broken corpse out of the sandbox, the Founding Fathers fought back. And they bludgeoned the crap out of the central power and threw it back out of the sandbox where it belongs. That's supposed to be what we celebrate every Independence Day, right? I'm, I shouldn't be saying anything controversial here. Although it is controversial, it's politically incorrect, it's uncomfortable, nobody likes to talk about it, but allegedly that's what we're celebrating every July 4th in this country, right? Right? Otherwise, what the heck are we doing? It might as well just be another day on the calendar. And that constitution that we have, might as well run that through the shredder and make confetti out of it. Might as well set that thing on fire. Lord knows people have tried. But I say we stick to that constitution. I say we stick with that federal government that was written up in that constitution. And we just make sure that it stays in its old sandbox. And we stick with those 50 states and their state constitutions, and we just make sure that they play in their sandbox. And they don't come into our sandbox. We all have our own little sandbox, and that should be enough for everybody. The federal government wants to have a little bit of authority over something. They want to they pound their chest and say that we got authority. Well, you do over certain things. Congratulations. And the state governments want to walk around and pound their chest and say, oh, we got authority. We have, Look at our authority. We got authority over things. Well, you do, as long as it's inside your sandbox. But leave the rest to us. Leave the rest to the people, the workers, the middle of the country, the bottom of the country, the top of the country, whatever. Just leave it to us. That's the broad concept. And this battle for supremacy between the federal and the state, it's, not, it's nothing but a problem. It's just one big problem waiting to happen. And that's basically the, the central power and the states battling over their sandboxes, their, 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 their relative sandboxes. And honestly, uh, in some cases, battling over our sandbox. And it really just needs to stop. Because I, I just, I see 1774 in that all over again. And that's exactly what I don't want to see. That's exactly what none of us want to see. Because it's nothing but, it's just, it's just more friction, more arguments, more debate. And I think we've had enough arguments in this country about this kind of thing. I really, ha I really do. I think we just need to get back to our relative sandboxes and call it a day. Part of this podcast is about learning from the mistakes of the past and making sure that, you know, it's not just entertainment value studying what the Founding Fathers did. There are very real lessons to be taught here. They are our teachers in a great many respects. Flawed as they were, and yes, there's some lessons that some of them teach that, frankly speaking, we are really ought to pay close attention to and question whether or not that's a good lesson to learn or not. But in the broad scheme of things, the broad picture, look at the big picture. What were they trying to teach us? That they had fundamental, sacred, ancient rights they had constitutional rights, and those were being infringed upon, and they shouldn't be. They just shouldn't be. Because once you start going down that road, there is no line in the sand anymore. There's no limit to it. That's why it's so dangerous to try to—I mentioned this on a fairly regular basis, trying to limit people's freedom of speech by calling it hate speech. Once you start calling something hate speech, anything can be hate speech. You know, if I say that I don't like the, a pair of shoes that somebody's wearing, that's hate speech. Are you kidding me? And you think I'm, I think I'm being extreme. I'm not. It could get to that point at some point. It, there, believe me, there's no line in the sand. There's no limit to how far they will go with this. There's no limit at all. 
and it'll get to the point where, like, like we read a pamphlet, or well, I read about, I read a letter from John Adams about a pamphlet, really, that was written basically saying you can't criticize the king, and John Adams took issue with that. He said, "Yes, I can." Remember that? It's in an episode previous. If you if you didn't hear that one or you can't remember it, go back and listen to the library of episodes and you'll hear it. It's very interesting. People will say at some point, well, you can't criticize the government because that's hate speech. Okay, or it's incendiary. Okay, well, John Adams disagrees with you. John Adams totally disagrees with you. We read from John Adams that he disagrees with that concept. So what are we talking about here? And clearly the Founding Fathers disagreed with it in the aggregate. Otherwise, again, the First Amendment wouldn't be worded the way that it is. It's very broad. It's very generous to the individual. Very generous. It pretty much gives the individual carte blanche to say whatever the heck they darn well please. So keep all this in mind. There are great lessons to be learned here in the letters from our Founding Fathers. And we're not even close to done yet. Not even close. We've barely scratched the surface. We're still stuck in 1775. But I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, my public service announcement at the beginning. I, I, I just felt, I felt like I wanted to say something about that because I don't, I don't hear anybody talking about it. Um, I'm sure people do, personally, privately. Heck, you might have um, said something about that personally, privately. But publicly, I don't, I don't hear a lot of people discussing it. Um, and as far as this, this conversation on the back half of this episode about the Founding Fathers and their concerns about Parliament having authority to bind the colonies in all cases whatsoever. Like I said, this is normal for any government to try to do. They, they try to do this in Europe. They've been try they've been doing this in Europe for thousands of years. This is just what Europe does. Uh, here in the United States, again, it's the same kind of mindset. We're really no different than Europe and in a great man as far as the as far as these these big problems that go back ten thousand years, we're the same. This is the same with these we're all the same people all over the world. We, we struggle with these same problems. We just have to acknowledge that it exists. And that's the problem is, is sometimes people don't want to acknowledge that these problems even exist because it's uncomfortable to talk about. It's uncomfortable to say that, yes, there are 535 drunken lunatics in the United States Congress. Almost all of them are drunk on power and out of control. It's uncomfortable to say that. Because then what do you do about it? And there's an answer to that question. I mean, you, you learn the history, you study the history, and you try to, if you have to, try to educate them. Because I guarantee you, none of them are going to listen to this podcast, and none of them are going to take the time to actually read the letters from our founding fathers. They're not going to do it. They're too busy cashing checks from lobbyists. They're too busy buying $10 million mansions. They're too busy doing all of these things to worry much at all about your concerns. I'm just putting it out there. Reasonable people can disagree with me, but that's the way that I see it. So I hope uh, you got something out of this episode of the podcast. We'll probably be back in the letters on the next episode, as we typically do. That's the cadence. It's kind of a TikTok cadence that we have on this uh, on this podcast. Cover the letters one episode, and then the next next episode is a little bit free form, and then we kind of go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Again, if you uh, have any comments or questions or thoughts about the podcast, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and I will do my very best to uh to get to those and to read those on the podcast i think i've read every single one on the podcast so far because we don't have a lot of reviews yet the podcast is still very small and some of the folks out there are doing the yeoman's work about sharing the podcast and getting the word out about the podcast i, I still appreciate that i really do uh you folks who do that are amazing people and you're trying to help get the word out about the letters of our founding fathers to um not just the podcast but also the the letters themselves you're trying to get the uh, the word out about these letters that exist out there that that give us good lessons from our founding fathers 
and you're trying to share those with other people so that they know about them, so that they know to maybe go read them themselves or maybe listen to the podcast, whichever. Frankly speaking, I don't care which one people do as long as they do one or the other. But uh, at least this podcast might provide you with some different ideas and some different perspective uh, from me personally and from anybody who wants to leave a comment or a review on the podcast. I try to bring your perspective on here as well, uh, so even if you have a contrary opinion. But I look forward to the next episode of the podcast. I hope you do as well. And with all that said, this is Roman signing off. Thank you.